This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom, it's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. A little bit of holiday and a little bit of history. It's episode 449 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Rhythm, and I actually, one more time, I'm going to take you back to Comic-Con on this week's show because National Treasure Edge of History is now streaming on Disney+. And while I was there, I got a chance to hang out with the cast and the showrunners and writers of the show. So if you haven't seen it yet and you're thinking about it, hey, listen to these interviews. See if you like what you hear. Maybe you want to check the show out or if you're already watching it, maybe you get some insight into the show from them. That'll all be spoiler-free, by the way, so you won't have to worry about it either way. But I've been so psyched about National Treasure Edge of History, so we'll dive into that a little bit. Also talk about the Santa Clauses, the season finale of that, also on Disney+. Plus. So, I mean, it's it's Christmas time. I want to talk about some Christmassy-type stuff. Yes, I'll dive into the news of Henry Cavill not returning as Superman. The Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse trailer has dropped a very interesting Sci-fi trailer also came out as well. And yeah, I got to talk about a little bit of The Flash after last week's Arrowverse show. Got to dive in to that first look at season nine of The Flash. But up next, hey, I don't want to wait any longer. Let's talk about National Treasure Edge of History with the cast and the showrunners and writers next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Josh Gates from Expedition Unknown, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. When history both repeats itself and starts anew, the National Treasure series, National Treasure Edge of History, now streaming on Disney Plus, the first couple of episodes. But when I was at Comic-Con this past year, I got a chance to sit down with the series showrunners and executive producers and also the cast to talk about the upcoming series. So if you haven't had a chance to see it yet, even if you haven't, I'm going to share those interviews with you now, starting with the writers and executive producers of the series, Marianne and Cormac Weberly. Of course, the Wibs is what they're known for. For short, so let's dive in with them, and it was part of the roundtable discussion with all of these groups. And the first question asked to them was it was a basic one, and I think it's one to you know start with, and that is you know how this ties in to the movies. And here's what they had to say about that: It's in the universe, so the movie 
the movie happened, and it's 20 years later. And we so pick our, up. Our characters know who Ben Gates is. Okay. And uh, Riley Poole's Riley books. Poole will walk into their. Uh, Orange read all of Riley Poole's books, and Riley Poole will walk into an episode and help them a little bit on a treasure hunt. So, so it's, uh, it is the universe. It is we're picking up 20 years later, or 17 years later from the second movie. Something that happened in the movie also is picked up on in the show. So we do we do reference the movie a lot. Ben Gates is not in the show yet. Hopefully if we get a second season we get him to come. Hopefully he won't be so busy. I know. Well we want him to be busy but oh yeah. Uh, but yeah his spirit is is there because he's a legendary treasure hunter in our universe. He's Bob Ballard, he's you know he's that guy. So he definitely his spirit plays prominently. Spinning off of that a little bit, I wanted to ask about, you know, creating the balance between finding something new, but still honoring the original. So here's my question to them about that. How do you create that balance between finding something new for a newer show, but also going back and paying a little bit of homage to the to the movies themselves, since you've got the national treasure brand right there? Like we said, the, the, the key to the treasure is not really what the treasure is, it's what the journey is. And... So, and the people who hid the treasure is the more interesting than the treasure itself sometimes. And why they hid the treasure. And you know, we had the, you know, the founding fathers in the first one with, with the Knights of the Templar and the reasons for the Knights of the Templar. And, and in this one, it's, we have very important uh, reasons as to why this treasure was hidden. And the person that was responsible for organizing it is a very... Very controversial figure, and, and we can't wait for you guys to watch it and, and look up this person's name. That's We love National Treasure. What we love about being part of it is that it's edutainment, edu educational entertainment, and we always want people to walk away and go, hey, did Ben Franklin really discover the bi make up the bifocals or whatever? You know, little things like that that you learn. Silence, do good letters. Like, all that stuff was real. Uh, so we try to do as much of that in this, show. in this show as well. And we have more more experts, more help. A lot more help. A lot more help. <laughs> you can tell this show is their baby and the cast is something that they really, really love. So someone asked who they're excited to see the most coming up on this show and it was hard for them not to say everybody. Listen to this. Lissette, she's just a huge discovery. They're all discoveries. Although we didn't really discover, Antonio was already like a big deal on Broadway and Zuri was already on Lion King when she was a kid and Jake already had, although Jake is amazing, I want we want people to go watch his music videos now because he's an amazing talent. He should have been on The Voice and American Idol. And then uh, Jordan, he's just a joy. He's just interesting too. Like he's that, he plays that hard part, the friend zone guy, and he's fun. We got lots lots of stuff to do with him. So. At the time during Comic-Con, we just found out that Catherine Zeta-Jones was going to be a part of National Treasure Edge of History. So here are the Whips reacting to Catherine Zeta-Jones talking about her being a part of the cast and teasing a little bit about her character, in case you don't know about that yet. Yeah, I'm just like, I'm freaking out. I, I love her so much. She's amazing. Um, she Her story is really complex, her backstory. Again, the history of her family and how it's related to the treasure. Like we say, the, the treasure isn't the most important thing. It's why are the people who are looking for it looking for it? Why is she looking for it? Why is she trying to beat Jess to it? Her backstory, her story of her family is really integral to the I, story, I can't too. Wait you guys 
and, and Marianne had to pitch it to her to get her on the show. So we had to get her on Zoom and go, okay, this is who your character is, and here's your backstory. And she said, yeah, I like that. And, yeah, it was. And she's been nothing but a pleasure. And she's brought since. such layers. Like Cormac and I say, as soon as she said yes to um, that she wanted to do the part, Cormac and I looked at each other in a panic, and oh, we crap. said, now we have we to write, to write something good. <laughs> we have to write something good. But at the end of the day, like she brings so much to the to the role. Like these people who are brilliant actors like this, they can they can make anything. Or thank God. Now it's time to sit down and talk to the cast. How about Zuri Reed, who plays Tasha, and Antonio Cipriano, who plays Orin. And if you've seen the show already, you know there's a bit of history there between those two characters. But if you have, if you have or you haven't, when you've got the actors sitting right in front of you, you got to ask them about it. So I did. Your characters have a bit of a history together, apparently. How much can you uh, tell us about that without spoiling anything? Well, I think um, what's so great is before the first scene of the pilot there's there's years of a relationship there like yeah. we've known each other since third grade all four of us the four best friends so there's a lot to sort of play with in like the backstory and stuff like that like we talked about like prom and stuff like that right. asking you to prom and stuff, like all of that stuff that we could just really have fun with making up and then obviously we we don't really like each other in real life obviously it's, <laughs> it's the worst so you know, we, we're best friends, yeah. and, and we have a very cool connection. Like yeah. the first time we met, we were in New York. Oh so gosh. this is only fitting in New York. That's why I'm setting the scene. Right. We sang the entirety of Les Mis from beginning um, to end in the middle of a restaurant. Yeah. yeah. So that was that was something that happened. Our very first first time ever. first time ever meeting. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. I'm like I'm gonna like you. This is great. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great pair. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. Surprise me how many members of the cast were surprised at the fan reaction and how big of a following National Treasure actually had. So somebody asked about their reaction to seeing so many, you know, hardcore fans at the panel, and this is what they had to say about that. I didn't really expect for anybody to be excited to see us. So, you know, if, if, if there were three people clapping, I would have been satisfied. Yeah. So, you know, the fact that there were thousands who were excited about this project and what we've been working so hard on for the past yeah. seven months, it's just a dream come true. And, and, it, and it's very humbling, and I'm just grateful for that. Yeah. Yes, and get to, getting to experience this with all of our best friends yeah. is very comforting and very exciting. It's a yeah. very special moment for sure. Yeah. So when I got a chance to ask Zuri and Antonio another question, I had to go back to something they said about the characters knowing each other for a while. So, hey, let's talk about that group. So you say that your characters have known each other for a while in the show. What's the overall group dynamic of this team actually like? I think pretty much the same. Yeah, very, very family-oriented. You know, Tasha and, and, and Oren aren't on the best of terms yeah. at the very beginning, but that is never we move right past that because if, if there's something outside of our circle that we have to, to tackle, we put everything else aside and it's about our foundation at the end of the day, the five of us. So, you know, it's a it's a group it's a group thing. It's yeah. a family thing. Yeah, truly like you like we're family in real life. We're like we really do become family. We're already yeah. family on the show and it's it, I hope that shows through the you know, I hope people yeah. can feel the the love that we have for each other because yeah. it was made with a lot of love. You've heard her name mentioned a couple times already. The centerpiece of the show is definitely Lizette Oliveira who plays Jess Valenzuela. 
on the show. Joined by Jake Austin Walker here, plays Liam Sadusky. And the first question for them was, again, to describe their character. And I loved hearing J- hearing Lizette talk about Jess. I'll just start by saying that I feel like I didn't have to search very far to understand who Jess was. She's very inspiring in, in the sense where she never lets adversity tear her down. Uh, if anything, it just makes her want to fight harder, which I find really inspiring. She's, you know, a young woman who... Life has always told her no in certain ways, but she always finds a way to prove everyone wrong, you know? She is somebody that is told to be under the radar, to not make herself too loud or too big, and, you know, she goes off into this treasure adventure that requires her to be confident in herself and to step into her shoes and really risk it all for, you know, her heart and her family. Yeah. Liam Sadusky is... He's an emotionally tortured soul. He's seen firsthand what the treasure hunting world can do to someone. I think the original films like to shine a light on the adventure and excitement of it, and we didn't spend too much time on the parallel side of that, which Liam has seen the damage it can do and what can be lost to treasure hunting and that lifestyle. And I think because of that, he tries to steer clear of that life. That's why Liam Sadusky's character, uh, Peter and Liam, Peter Sadusky, the lead FBI agent from the old films, that's why they don't have an amazing relationship at the top of the show is because Liam's trying to push himself away from treasure hunting as much as he can. He, he's very, <laughs> he's not lacking in sarcasm. He's very rebellious and his passion is music and that's kind of how he gets his emotional escape. And he swore off treasure hunting until Miss Valenzuela comes into his life and makes him think twice about it. I mean, because the reality is that the show revolves around family, and it's like, will will family hold up with all of you know the the trials and tribulations and what that means to everyone? And so I think she kind of brings a new perspective. With you know, because Jess is in love with her family, she she was raised on the idea, not raised on a cultural belief that you respect your family and you honor them, and you know, and you know, I think. She kind of just sheds a new light on what that is, and he sees it, and wants, he also wants to go after it as well. Can confirm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We haven't really talked about the action aspect of this series yet, so I thought it would be a good time to ask Lizette and Jake about that because I was sure at the time that they'd be a part of something like that. Talk about the action aspect of the show a little bit because that's always been a part of the national treasure world. How great was it to kind of get involved with some of that as you guys were going throughout the show? Oh, man. It was so exciting. You know, you get to read a script, and it's nothing like it is when we get to lift it off paper. Yeah. You know? Just seeing all the minds behind what they had envisioned for, you know, certain scenes and certain moments, it's just a really fun time. It revs up. Each each episode just gets increasingly more intense. That's what I was just going to say. Yeah, so yeah. as we continue, we see more and more of the beloved action that everyone wants to see. Yeah, I... The second half of the season is... I mean, I remember when Marion and Cormac were talking to us, the Whips were, were talking to us about it. You know, they're like, just get ready, because it's kind of like a roller coaster. And, and, and they were kind of joking, like, yeah, and it's going to get pretty crazy. And we're always like, oh, uh, right. Huh. Okay. But, dude. <laughs> it, crazy. it gets pretty nice. I remember reading episode 9 and 10 and uh, physically just being like, yeah. just, just enamored. Geeking out, yeah, man. geeking out over each scene. It's just, it's genuinely just so, oh my god, what's going to happen next? You never know. So it yeah. really does take you on that adventure. If, just like the movies. If you're remotely a fan of this genre, 
it's just such a love letter. But if you were a fan of National Treasure, we FedExed overnight the love letter yeah. to you. You know what I'm saying? That's like, that's like, that's yeah. the best way I could put it. Yeah. yeah. When you're talking about National Treasure, it's not always just about what you'll be looking for, but where you'll be going as well. So Lizette and Jake got to talk a little bit about that and some of the places we'll get to see them go coming up this season. We're going to the Alamo and we're also going to Graceland. And so, you know, those are pretty big landmarks in American history. And it's kind of cool to be able to do our own twist. I mean, that's what National Treasure does, right? We take yeah. American history, we also do something of maybe a conspiracy that could or could not be true. Yeah. You know, we go on that adventure, so. You know, sorry. No, no, you go. And I was also <laughs> going to say, you know, the state of Louisiana itself is insanely historical. Yes. Like there's so many, just Baton Rouge in itself had so many historic locations. And I, and I feel like we utilize a lot of that space in such a great way. And I think we also shine a light on like how pretty there is, you know, like the, the shots and uh, just in general, I think people will be happily surprised at how unique of a location it is. Truly. You know? it, 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 it was such a blast for us. I mean, we loved Baton Rouge. It's, it's our second home. Yeah. yeah. So last up, we got a chance to also talk to Lyndon Smith, who plays Agent Ross on the show, and Jordan Rodriguez, who plays Ethan. And the reason I'm giving you the describe your characters thing one more time is because I really loved Lyndon's answer talking about Agent Ross and some other stuff, too. So, I mean, here, here you go. Here's that again. Lucky. Oh, I like Plucky. So this word was dropped early on. The Wibs kept telling me she's plucky. And I was like, when was the last time I even heard the word plucky thrown out? But it's so her. She's determined. She's headstrong. She's a rookie agent, but she was the best of the best in her training, except she botched her first big job. And that's why she ends up in Baton Rouge. But yeah, she's a plucky little headstrong girl. That's what I think. I sort of base my character on A-type characters. Oh, yeah. He's a by-the-book guy. He's a rule follower. He needs everything to go the way he needs it to go. And so, yeah, it's a lot of fun just playing those sort of nuances in the character. So we've already talked about Catherine Zeta-Jones' character of Billy, so I had to ask Lyndon, who plays Agent Ross on the show, you know, how does she factor in with that character a little bit and what is her suspicions of her how does billy's character come into play here as far as as because you think they're the criminals but how does she factor into that as well agent ross is always suspicious of billy it's one of those situations where if somebody's name keeps crossing your desk so many times you can't look away and I think that that is kind of the impetus of her believing the kids in a way, because this Billy character keeps showing up. I have her on surveillance. Her name keeps getting dropped, but I can never get to her. That's the thing about Billy. She's so discreet. She's on a private plane or she's over here. You never know where she is. So I get to grill all the kids, but trying to get to Billy is one of the biggest obstacles that Asia Ross faces. And I get to her, I get to her eventually. That's like the white whale for her, then, you, yeah. you might say. Yeah, but which is so funny because it's like she never takes me seriously the whole time. It's like if, oh, there's an FBI agent who's, like, looking at her. It's just like, I don't care. She's untouchable. So, yeah, it's fun. It's a fun cat and mouse on our end. Interesting. And that's just it. There's so many interesting characters that are involved in this show and how they interact with one another. And as somebody who was a big National Treasure fan, I loved both of the movies and i'm just a history nerd anyway you get to get some of that flavor of national treasure in there so so many moments in these first couple episodes alone where you go yeah this this feels like a national treasure show but at the same time 
it's it's a different spin. It's a different kind of a story than they were telling with National Treasure. There was a lot more focus on the just plain out fun of the whole thing in the movies. But at the same time, there's a, there's a little bit of a deeper story that's trying to be told here. And in the few future episodes, we'll find out just, you know, if they'll be able to pull off, you know, the deepness of this story or not. And it's t- just, you know, it's from a different perspective culturally and, and storytelling wise and the, the treasure that they're seeking and why they're seeking it. And like they said, it's sometimes the why is more important than the what and the who as well. So there, there's so many things about this that are different, but the vibes are there. And I, that's why I've been so excited for this National Treasure series, National Treasure Edge of History, which is now streaming on Disney+. Plus. You get new episodes coming out every week. I can't wait to see how this story plays out throughout the season. Again, thanks to the wonderful cast and the executive producers and writers of National Treasure Edge of History for joining me at Comic-Con. I'm so happy that I finally got a chance to share those interviews with you. Up next, going to stay on Disney Plus and talk about the Santa Claus as the season finale of that series happened. I'll talk about that with some spoilers next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Haley Mancini. And I'm Jake Goldman. And we are writers for the Powerpuff Girls. And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Yeah. Counting down the days until Christmas, so I thought it'd be a good time to talk about the season finale of the Santa Clauses from Disney Plus, the Disney Plus series, and we just got out of the Yule-verse. I'll talk about that here in just a second. But I say season finale because the show has been renewed for a second season on Disney Plus, which I'm guessing we'll see next Christmas at some point, right? So I think that that, that's an interesting development that I wasn't sure that we were going to get. But, I mean, overall, what this basically is... Is you're seeing, you know, we saw Bernard come back. We saw, you know, Tim Allen realize he's been the first human Santa. And Scott Calvin realizes that. And he said, you know, okay, that changes everything. We got to go back and save Christmas. He got to visit with St. Nicholas and some of the other previous Santas as well who were ethereal. And it brought, you know, a whole sci-fi-ish vibe to the season that I, I kind of didn't really expect. But when you're dealing with, you know, going through vortexes and things like that, you know, and that's how Santa's able to travel around the world in one night sort of thing. Yeah, it, it sort of enters into the sci-fi realm. And that's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think that that was sloppily executed or anything like that. But you get to see that also Cal and Sandra, his kids, they have powers as well. She could talk to animals, which we kind of figured anyway, if you were watching the show. But Cal seems to be tapped in to Scott's Santa powers and Santa abilities. So maybe he's the one that should have been the next Santa all along. And they start to kind of explore that as well. But that man, did Simon Chosky turn out to be a real dick in this show, right? I did not expect that 
at all the way that things were starting out. But you sort of you can kind of see how absolute power corrupts absolutely. There's a reason that that's a saying, and that's been a saying forever. And that's exactly what happened to Simon Chosky, who was a guy that was down on his luck and then saw this chance to have everything he ever wanted and completely screwed it up and ended up alienating his daughter, Grace, in the process, which was the one thing he sort of promised his wife he would never do. And that was like the that was the heartfelt moment of this episode, I think, was, just, you know, seeing that flashback to his wife who was dying at the time saying, you know, promise me you'll give her a great life. And he says, oh, I'm going to give her the best life. So he thinks he's doing the right thing, but he ends up being a dick at the end of the day. And, you know, it, as happens in, in shows and movies like this, you know, you come to see the area of your ways sort of thing. And then you, obviously they start going back to the point where you're you're trying to save Christmas and things like that, which, you know, spoiler alert, they end up doing because if they didn't, that would make the show really, really weird. So obviously then, you know, Scott Calvin decides to come back on as Santa Claus. You know, Betty bends the rules a little bit for him in that regard. He gets the Santa coat back and his family's back on board with this as well. And they sort of realize how special being at the North Pole was and finding out, you know, you're the first human family that our clauses, that's, there's something special there as well. And Carol got to have her moment though. And and I think that what we might see in a second season is a redefining of Mrs. Claus and, and him being able to bring his family on his run as Santa and spend Christmas with his family for the first time in 20 years is is something we see at the end of this as well, which I think was really neat too, because you take you take that for granted, right? That you know Santa doesn't get to spend time with his family on Christmas, Christmas Day, or Christmas Eve, or anything like that. So you, you kind of you know take that for granted, and you get to see that addressed in this show as well, which I thought was an interesting take to go on that, and, and the fact that you know Mrs. Claus is an afterthought has very much been a theme of this season. And I think that that's again, something that we'll probably see addressed in the second season and, you know, not being dowdy or anything like that. But I think it was also the fun of the elves too, that made this show like, like Devin Bright's Noel, I thought was, was great in this whole season. I thought Betty was great as well. And just so many of the other elves, even let's shout out to La Bafana as well to Laura San Giamoco. So who, was so fantastic when she needed to be in this show. And then if you can't forget Gary. Gary was Gary and Scott Calvin and Santa in this last episode were fantastic. I loved that dynamic between the two of them. I thought that was really fun. You know, was the show stupid at times? Sure. Was it goofy, corny at times? Sure, but it's a Christmas show. Right? You you're overthinking it. If you hate if you hated this fine, I'm not gonna tell you you shouldn't have. And I'm not saying it was a masterpiece either. But you also have to go into this knowing what you're getting and knowing what you're about to be given. You're not gonna be, you know, handed a masterpiece here. This isn't, you know, Charles Dickens a Christmas carol, you know, the Charles Dickens like, you know, deep rooted literary version. What you're getting is a revival of a Santa Claus movie or set of movies or Santa Claus, you know, universe of movies that was, you know, based on an an interesting concept initially and, and, and taken a little bit further on in the story. And you cannot take this thing too seriously. So if you're looking for a massive depth of storytelling here, you, you, you kind of miss the point and you get to see what it's like to a, 
you know, be in the North Pole and then have to live in the real world and then go back and try and bring some of that real world back with you as well. And you get to see that in a very, very short amount of time. But that was the other thing that this show did well is it didn't drag itself out when it absolutely could have. Did it go maybe a little bit too fast? Maybe at times. I think they might have rushed the ending a tad. But at the same time, this show didn't really have any episodes that were throwaways. Didn't drag on longer than it had to, which is the, you know, you, you know, a lot of shows have been guilty of that in the past. This one, not so much. So where do you go on a second season? I think will be very interesting. And maybe, again, the focus being more on Mrs. Claus. Maybe they do finally get to see the transition from Scott to Cal as Santa. Because remember, Scott was going to retire as a reason for a reason. And he, you know, thought he maybe overreacted in, in kind of when, when and how he retired in the first place. And I thought that was a, an interesting realization as well. And you get to see, you know, even all this time later, Scott Calvin getting a greater appreciation for not only what he was able to do as Santa over the years, but the, you know, the role of that role of Santa as a whole got a greater appreciation for that so much later on in doing it. So I thought that was a really neat part of the show. So if you if you loved the movies, I thought that this was a really good companion piece to that. It was a, it was a good revival. I'm, I'm excited to see where they're going to go going forward. But I think the Santa Clauses, if you're looking at it overall, definitely a success for Disney, and I'm glad that the story is back. That's going to do it for my spoiler-ish review of the Santa Claus's finale, and we'll be back and see for season two. Again, we'll find out when that's going to be. Up next, there's some big nerd news, and you know I'm going to be talking about the Henry Cavill situation with DC. We'll do that next. I'm James Witham. This is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Matt Lesher from The Flash and Legends of Tomorrow, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Out faster than a speeding bullet. It's time for nerd news. Yeah, let's just jump right into the big news of the week. And that is that James Gunn confirming that Henry Cavill will not return as Superman in the upcoming Superman movie in the new DCU. And that James Gunn will be writing a new Superman movie with the new lead actor. It's going to be a little bit more of a younger Superman, a younger Clark Kent. It's going to be more of the cub reporter. Clark Kent and you know again it's way too early to speculate what the vibes are going to be for that but they want a younger Superman basically and and Henry Cavill doesn't fit that bill and he's you know went on social media saying you know his time that is to to put on the cape has passed and all of these other things and I, I, I get it okay first of all it's hard when you're the new regime coming in to want to keep anything from the old regime because let's face it whether you liked the movie's that came out from DC or not. And I liked quite a few of them, to be honest. Even if you liked what was happening, you have to admit the change is necessary, right? Because it would just overall, it just wasn't working. So when you're bringing in a new vision, usually that new vision wants to bring in new people and so on and so forth. So if you hang on to someone like Henry Cavill, even if you like the job that he did, fans are always going to tie it back to that previous version. And I think that, you know, James Gunn and Peter Safran want to distance themselves from that previous version as much as possible and start anew. That's why when Marvel Studios started, when the MCU started, they didn't just pick and choose characters that may have worked from previous Marvel movies. They moved on to other actors. Now, you know, Spider-Man No Way Home bringing in Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield was totally different for a lot of different reasons. One of them being, you know, that Marvel Studios was already a huge success and they were able to do something like that without any repercussions of people going back and, you know, longing for the old days sort of thing. 
So I totally understand why they would want to do this. Is it fair to Henry Cavill? No, probably not, right? Because he, you know, it looked like he was coming back, but that was under a previous regime that ended up being very short-lived. And now this new regime wants to take things in a different direction, understandably so. So it's not necessarily fair to Henry Cavill, although the, the word is, is that they, he has met with DC and he might be eyed for another role in the DC universe. It's funny because I thought, you know, it would be funny if he ended up being Batman in the new DCU. Don't don't at me on that and say that I'm an idiot. I know I've seen the Robert Pattinson rumors, and I don't think that's going to happen. But just think about that for a second. It wouldn't be wild if you ended up playing Bruce Wayne, Batman, in the new DCU. Don't think it can't happen. That's obviously that's not going to be it. But but at the same time, that would be pretty interesting if it was. But you understand why they want to distance themselves from this version. I think that James Gunn is going for a completely different vibe on Superman. If you've seen James Gunn's work and you know what he does. I think that what you're going to get is a very different version of Superman than we've seen in the, well, let's just call it the Snyderverse for now. Since Scott, since Snyder was, Zack Snyder was very instrumental in Henry Cavill being Superman, I think you're going to see a different version. I think it's going to be almost closer to Christopher Reeve than we've been in a long time as far as Superman goes because that's, that's almost the gold standard that people point back to, right? It's Christopher Reeve. It's almost like you feel like they haven't gotten it right on the big screen anyway. Since Christopher Reeve, man, Brandon Routh maybe didn't get a fair shake and got to redeem himself in Crisis on Infinite Earths, but that was on television. And there have been some good Supermen on television. You know, Tyler Hoechlin is, is, is another example. I'll talk about Superman and Lois a little bit later on here. And even Brandon Routh, to a lesser extent, did a good job in that role. But on the big screen, it's been sort of, you know, and Henry Cavill was, was fine. He was okay. I liked what he did in certain respects. And there were other times where I didn't really like what he did. Not all his fault. Mostly not his fault. Let's just go ahead and go with that. But that he was in a tough spot in a lot, lot of different respects. We'll never probably really know fully what he could have done as the Man of Steel. But that time is over now. And if you enjoyed his time as Superman, yeah, you can go back and, and enjoy that, that time still. But it's bringing him back is fraught with complications. It's also one of the reasons why... Jason Momoa is being eyed to possibly play Lobo instead of Aquaman because again you're bringing something you're carrying something over the only characters that I could see them even considering carrying over from the previous DC connected movie universe are Zachary Levi Shazam I could see that and possibly Dwayne the Rock Johnson's Black Adam even though that movie didn't do super well at the box office I could see them carrying those two over. Maybe some characters from those movies as well, like Aldous Hodges as Hawkman or Dr. Fate from uh, from Pierce Brosnan. I could see them maybe doing that. But by and large, I don't see them carrying a whole lot over at all. In, in, in You know, you could even see an instance where Zachary Levi ends up being freaking Superman, depending on the vibe that they want to go with. If you want to think about a younger Superman, you know, I, I don't know how he is age-wise, to Henry Cavill, and I think maybe they want to go younger than that. But again, I've seen Dylan O'Brien's name thrown out there. I see Dylan O'Brien as more of a Nightwing, quite frankly. And I think Nightwing is... James Gunn has also said, you know, we're going to get the slate. We're going to get the DC slate here at the beginning of 2023. We'll let you know what we're going to be doing, at least in the early going anyway. I think Nightwing will be a project we're going to see thrown out there as something that's going to be we'll see very early on. In, in the DCU because I think Nightwing is a sneaky character we've not seen on the big screen yet 
that people really love. People really love the character of Nightwing. Plus, you throw Babs in there, you get Batgirl vibes back in there and see how that goes. And, and you really, and I think that that's something that James Gunn and company can have fun with. And that would be a nice little entryway into Gotham. Maybe you don't use Batman right away as your entry point into Gotham City. Well, it would probably be Bloodhaven, but still, you know what I mean. Like, the entry, the entry into the Bat family doesn't necessarily have to start with Batman. I mean, that's going to be probably Warner Brothers and Zaslav and company. That you probably look at that and you go, okay, let's go. Let's get a Batman movie rolling. Well, you've got the Batman. And you've got that, which is going to be separate. I know that there's the rumors out there. They're going to be, it's going to be separate. Okay, just like the Joker movie is going to be separate. So, I think you let that breathe a little bit. And you know, take the time to get a good Batman story right for this connected universe before you dive right in to that world. So why can't you bring in a Nightwing and do it that way? Just start out. You can reference Bruce Wayne. You can reference Batman all you want in that movie. You don't even need to see him. I think Nightwing can carry the load in the short term anyway. And then you see how that goes. So again, I don't want to make this a speculation of what's going to be coming out from from DC, I think that there's a time and a place for that, and I don't think this is it. But the bottom line is, is that Henry Cavill's not going to be back. And I don't get the devastation because there were just as many people that wanted him out years ago as now want him back and to stay in the role. So I don't get the huge love for Henry Cavill. I never got the huge hate for him either. I just thought he was fine, and it wasn't necessarily his fault that he wasn't great. So I think that we at some point you got to move on from this. And I think... Yeah, it's you know having campaigns to get Zack Snyder just back involved. See, this is why you don't give them the Snyder cut right here. It's stuff like this because you, they're never going to let it go now, and they're always going to think they have the power to bring these things back. Zack Snyder's not coming back. Henry Cavill's not coming back as Superman, at least not anytime soon. Anyway, so let's just th- we'll throw that out the window, and we'll see what happens in the future. You never know what can happen in the future. For DC movies and hopefully the DCU just ends up being a success and this is all an afterthought and if something if they cast the right person to play Superman and Clark Kent in the DCU all of this goes away and it doesn't matter this all this entire discussion and all this vitriol won't matter if they get it right and a lot of stuff's not going to matter if they get it right but the other discussion is you know what do you do with the DC movies that have already been made that need to come out like Aquaman the Flash and things like that what do you do with those? Do you just put them out and be like, yeah, here you go. This is the end sort of thing. And you can't not put them out at all. That's the other problem. So I, that's, again, another discussion for another time. This is about Henry Cavill. And he's going to be part of a Warhammer 40K Prime Video series. Now he's attached to that. No, he's not coming back to The Witcher because you can't just toss Hemsworth out the window just because Henry Cavill's not Superman anymore. You can't just unring that bell. So let's stop that too, shall we? He's moving on to Warhammer. He's going to do other things. Maybe he'll be Bond. I don't know. This opens up a lot of possibilities for Henry Cavill. I think it's also a reason for him to be excited about what's going to be coming up in his future as well. Let's talk about some of the big trailers this week. I want to start with Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which we're going to see on June the 2nd of 2023 from Sony Pictures and, of course, Marvel in association with Marvel. And we get to see Miles and his mom in a great moment between Miles and his mom. In the beginning of this trailer, which she's like, I still see it as my little boy, and you're you're the you're a young man now, and you sort of see, you know, the the speech is kind of interspersed into into scenes from the previous movie and this upcoming movie as well. 
and you get to see Miles driven into the multiverse, and you get to see a bunch of spider people. I'm not going to be the Easter egg guy either. I'm not going to sit here for 10, 15 minutes pointing out, oh, we saw that person and this person, Bob, Bob, if you want Easter eggs, call the bunny. I'm not going to give them to you here. And it's not going to be that long, drawn-out list. It's not that kind of show. So what I can tell you is the vibe that I see from this trailer. You get the, you could tell that Miles and Gwen are growing closer, and I think that that's going to be a great thing to watch in this upcoming movie. We saw glimpses of that in Into the Spider-Verse. We never really fully got into that. I think we're going to see that coming up more and more. And you see Peter Parker back as well and kind of into the mix. But he, again, he just seems like he's not he's not the story. And I think that they're making that very clear. And I think they've done a brilliant job of executing that up to this point. And then you've got Spider-Man 2099, and he seems to be almost the antagonist of this upcoming movie because what you see is all of these spider people, all of these so-called heroes think they have the best way to protect the world and protect the multiverse and things like that. And there's clashes of ideals and that leads to, you know, sort of tension and even a battle between heroes at the, this point. And at some point, Miles is going to have to try and step up and redefine what it means to be a hero. And can he do that? And is that a fair thing to ask him to do at his age and with all these responsibilities? But, you know, Miles has shown the ability to be able to step up already. And I think that, that Miles' head and his heart are in the right place. And I think he's one of those kind of characters that can just kind of get through to everybody if you can get him to shut up and listen for five seconds. Now, I've seen rumors that, and, and thoughts from fans. That, are there going to be multiple versions of Spider-Man 2099? Maybe. It's certainly possible that they could end up going that route because you almost don't know why he'd react that way in that moment. But at the same time, we've gotten one trailer. And it, 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 tells, it certainly gives us hints about what we're going to see but at the same time, we don't know everything that's led up to that. And of course, Spider, Spider-Man 2099 was the teaser, the end credit teaser in Into the Spider-Verse in the first place. So this has been the plan all along. But where this story is going to go and what the catalyst is for these certain events that are going to be coming up, that's, I think, what we've got to look forward to in another trailer and finding out a little bit more about this movie as we get closer. But it's not that far away. March is really, I mean, excuse me, June's not really that far away. The reason I say March is because that's when we're going to see a new sci-fi movie again from Sony Pictures coming up on March the 10th called 65. And Adam Driver is in this one. And it seems like a futuristic sci-fi movie where there, you know, there's a ship that crashes and it's carrying certain passengers on a long space journey. And he's crashed on an undocumented planet. And, you know, he radios for help. You know, the stereotypical, you radio for help in a sci-fi movie and nobody's there. So you go out to explore the planet, right? And you get to see he finds the planets inhabitable and things like that. You can breathe the air, drink the water. And then you find out there's some sort of a presence there. There's something looming. And then guess what? You think it's aliens? Uh Uh-uh. Dinosaurs. So is it one of those things where he's traveled through some sort of a, a vortex or wormhole or something and ended up in the past? Is he still in the future? You see dinosaurs against future tech in this movie. I think that's an interesting subplot in this whole thing. He's found one survivor. It's a young girl, so he's got to keep her safe now. So he's got that responsibility. It's not just stay stay alive. It's keep the kid alive as well, which is a trope we've seen many, many times before. Will there be a spin on that here? Or is it just going to be one of those tropes that everybody seems to think works in a movie? We'll have to wait and see. But Adam Driver... And this just seems like the kind of movie that's in his wheelhouse. So I think he's a really good choice for this. And you've seen Adam Driver in a lot of very serious roles 
post-Star Wars anyway, and a lot of very different stuff. So I think, you know, getting a chance to let loose in a sci-fi movie again and just have a little bit of fun and, you know, you know, battle dinosaurs for a little bit is just, it's a nice break from what he's been doing. So I think that'll be a breath of fresh air that we'll see from him. And this is just, again, it's something in the sci-fi realm that's, kind of mashing up a couple of things that work really well with fans and fans really love you love dinosaurs and you love sci-fi want let's marry the two and see what happens and i can't blame sony for wanting to attempt to do that so we'll see that on march the 10th and see what's up with 65 the day before that though we'll get the premiere of the flash's ninth and final season on the cw i also want to point out that superman and lois is going to be back on march the 14th and the premiere of gotham knights is going to happen then as well, but we got a quick teaser from season nine of The Flash from the CW, and you get to see yes, we do see Pied Piper, we might see Murmur in this as well. You see that Barry and Iris are maybe closer than they've ever been as husband and wife, finally getting that quality time that they haven't really gotten up until this point. Joe even saying in the trailer, you know, you've been a lot through a lot in the last nine years, and I'm proud of you. But guess what? You got to save the world one more time, and it looks like Goldface is going to be a part of this season as well. We don't really know for sure who the new villain's going to be. You see Barry say, you know, I need your help saving the world. We think that's probably Javicia Leslie's Batwoman, who we know is going to be a part of this season. There's been some, you know, set photos of, of her possibly playing Red Death in this in this season as well, and Red Death being part of the season. I think Red Death probably going to be the main villain, at least in the early part of this season. Will that end up being the villain throughout the entire season? Who knows? But I want to go back to last week's show where Manny Gomez from LRM Online was talking in our Arrowverse Roundtable, which if you didn't listen to it, go back last week and listen to last week's show. It's a really great roundtable about the Arrowverse where he said, you know, at some point, Barry's got to be the fastest man alive. And if you've got Red Death coming in, is he finally going to be the fastest man alive in this final season? Now, has he proven to be the fastest man alive at the end of the day? I guess, yeah. You have negative reverse flash last last year and last season that you could argue is maybe faster than him, than him as well and others that have been. But is it going to finally get to the point where we're like, okay, well, yeah, he's the fastest man alive. I think you do have to have that moment in the season at some point. Hopefully they're paying attention to that at some point in the CW. But this could be the official end of the Arrowverse because of Superman and Lois now not being connected in that world anymore and I'm not sure Gotham Knights is connected to anything either so this could be the official end of the Arrowverse we'll have to see how that goes out or you know of course you've still got the Diggle series coming up that maybe that continues a little bit we're in wait and see mode on the Arrowverse at this point and I think that you know it being on life support is an understatement right now that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy podcast again thanks to the amazing cast and creators of National Treasure Edge of History for joining me at Comic-Con. And this that's it for the Comic-Con interviews from this past year. And yeah, I, I drug them out a little bit, but I want to make sure that I got them out timely for you and everything when it made sense to get them out. So thank you for your patience on that. If you want to relive anything from this past year, go to downandnerdypodcast.com. Also, follow us on social media at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and Instagram, at downandnerdy on Facebook, at downandnerdypod on TikTok, best of, best of Interview Moments 2022 version going to be coming out. That's going to be next week's show leading into Christmas. And maybe we take a little break after that. Maybe I've got something else special for you. We'll have to wait and see. 
but make sure you're following along and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. And again, I just so amazed and appreciative of your support over the past year and beyond. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.